welcome back to the Emerald Conference. <laughs> er- Eric, we need to get you a headset so you can like chime in. Like, uh, who's that guy with Johnny Carson? Uh, what's his name? Who's the big Ed McMahon? Ed McMahon. We have the Ed McMahon behind the <laughs> scenes producing for us. Um, so we're going to figure out the technology to get him a mic sometime soon here. But we are pleased to meet you downing back at the Emerald Conference. It's day two. Day two. We are we are uh, still meeting tremendous, uh, tremendously interesting individuals from across the cannabis industry, doing all kinds of fascinating things, fascinating projects with fascinating organizations, fascinating background, and it's our privilege to bring uh, to introduce to you the audience out there <clears throat> that couldn't be here. About sixteen, I think, about sixteen interviews. Yeah, yes, uh, with with people. And, uh, and yeah, so next time you can come to the Emerald Conference or meet them maybe at MJ BizCon, et cetera. Demetri Downing here with... Destiny Blanca. And we are joined by Bonnie Goldstein, MD, who is a... a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Who is one of the attendees here and speakers as well. And she is a pediatric cannabis doctor. That's right. Excellent. So we're going to get to... Uh, because nobody was born into the cannabis industry... And you were doing many things uh, before you got into cannabis and started to bring your expertise and your knowledge and your skills to this industry and to your projects and to your organizations, et cetera. So how, which, go, let's go through your journey. How did you end up here uh, all the way to today? But uh, like, where are you from? Where'd you go to school? Okay, that's a great question. So I'm from New Jersey and I moved out to California to do my pediatric residency at Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Okay. And I uh, stayed on to be chief resident, and then I did what's called critical care transport medicine. So Children's Hospital had a really cool program where we would go out and pick up kids and ambulances and helicopters and whatnot. I was a bit of an adrenaline junkie at the time. I was very young. (laughs) And I did that for a couple years, and then I went into the specialty of pediatric emergency medicine. And I worked at L.A. County USC Medical Center in uh, East L.A. for a number of years. Um, in the uh, pediatric emergency room. And what yeah. years were those? Oh, gosh. Now you're going to make me go back here. Well, you're uh, young. It's uh, like yesterday. Uh, <laughs> 1994, <clears throat> about what? 2004, okay. um, I guess, maybe. A little. And then I worked in a, had a child at the time, and then I, a local hospital near my home decided to have pediatric doctors work in the evenings after the pediatrician's office closed, and it worked out well for me. I'm a, I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom during the day, and then I would go to work at 6 o'clock at night and work till about 3 in the morning, and then go home, get a few hours of sleep, and then yep. I could be mommy. So it worked <laughs> out very day. well. Yeah, it worked out great. So where'd you go to medical school? Back East? I went to medical school at, um, at the time it was called Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. It's really Rutgers, part of what's called UMDNJ, University of Medicine, Dentistry, New Jersey. Yeah. And so you just jumped from the East to the West Coast? I'm not a cold weather girl. I decided, to, I came out to California when I was in my fourth year of medical school just to do a, like, you're allowed to go out and do like rotations at other hospitals, they call right. them. And I came out to LA. I remember getting off the plane and like taking a smell of the air. Fresh and I breeze think, of the I'm, ocean air. I'm home. I was yeah. like, I'm home. This is 94, around 94? Uh, no, 1990. 1990. Yeah. And I did my training from 90 to 94. <laughs> and then um, during, uh, after working in the pediatric ER for quite some time and working at night, being mommy during the day, I just got burned out. Yeah. And a friend of mine got sick with cancer and it kind of dawned on me that maybe I needed to be taking care of myself a little bit better. 
I decided to take a short leave of absence. And during that time is when she asked me about cannabis. What year was this? 2006, 2007. And I didn't know anything other than like, you know, college mm-hmm. smoking a joint, right? Yeah. Your, your brain might fry like an egg. Yeah. Did you believe that in the no, 80s? No, I did not believe you that. Did not, I believed it. I did not believe that. I did, honestly. The devil's lettuce. I'm, but I'm and not the a doctor. Reason I, yeah. The reason I didn't believe it was because I knew people who used cannabis who were high achievers in their life. So I knew that that was not the issue. In fact, they used cannabis to achieve. So did you know that before or after medical school? No, I, I saw that during high school and during college. I saw people using cannabis, and mm-hmm. I didn't think that it was a bad thing. I never thought it was a bad thing. So, but uh, but me, I didn't know the science of it. Right. You have to remember, like, what you <clears throat> see when we're yeah. young, you don't know about the endocannabinoid system. You don't know about the compounds in cannabis. You just know, like, if you light up, you know, you, might have, yeah. you may have some fun with your friends, right? So... When my friend asked me about it, when she was struggling with cancer, and I went into the scientific literature to see if I could come up with some good, basically, medical advice for my friend who was struggling, Mm -hmm. I'm now reading about something called the endocannabinoid system. And I'm reading about a study in 1975 that showed that THC helped with nausea and vomiting. Now I'm seeing also that there's a study from 1975 that shows that when you put lung cancer cells in a test tube and you put THC in a test tube, THC kills those lung cancer cells. I didn't learn that. I didn't right. know anything and about you have it. you 16 years of training in traditional Western medicine. That's mm-hmm. right. And considered like an expert. You know what you are taught right. is that cannabis is a drug of abuse. The gateway. Right. That's what you're taught. Yep. Exactly. I'm still unlearning that. I mean, I was the guy who was like brain frying on drugs and stoners and hippies or losers, all that kind of stuff. 2012, I entered the industry, and it's been a total 180-degree turn where I completely understand herbal remedy, plant-based remedy, medicine, alternative medicine, naturopathic medicine. What else is out there now? I'm, like, excited about learning and remember. We did this event called Remembrance. We won't talk about that. But um, finding out new pathways to healing. So it's awesome that you had you know, the Western medicine, then you're suddenly now interested in cannabis in 2006. So let's go back to there. So your friend needed the information. She needed information, and then I witnessed her improvement. And I thought, this is intriguing. And I don't want to go back to middle of the night in the emergency room. So I'm going right. to explore this. And what kind of cannabis was she um, partaking in? Well, at that time, that's all there was was some THC. She, yeah. Well, she was using some edibles. And she so Mexican was, and weed. She was mm-hmm. using, she was vaporizing because she had okay. cancer. So she was a pretty conservative person, but it made a difference for her. And in terms of being sick from her chemotherapy. Yeah, and they had dispensaries. Right. And were you getting them from dispensaries? Yeah, she was getting cannabis from dispensaries. Yeah. At the this is unshackled, so we don't mind yeah. talking about legal yeah. violations. Yeah, no, she, <laughs> <laughs> but just no, she became, she went and got a letter. Uh, from a doctor Mm -hmm. and then I thought wow you know like this is something I can do and so I just did my own little like six months of like research and making sure and talking to an attorney and I'm not going to lose my license if I do this yeah and I went and worked in a private practice in Long Beach California that was a private practice that focused on approving patients for medical cannabis and the nice thing about this practice was that um it wasn't kind of like what you might call a script mill, you know, it was actual people came in, they brought their medical records, you could sit mm-hmm. and have a discussion for an hour with them, and like actually practice med- 
cannabis medicine with them. And I even said this when I spoke this earlier this morning. After about three months of talking to patients about cannabis, it dawned on me that they were all saying very similar things. Sleeping better, doc. Mm-hmm. Got off my opioids, doc. <coughs> oh, I love um, that. I'm a better spouse. I'm back at yeah. work more functional. Like, and I used to joke, are they in the parking lot saying, let's just tell her this? <laughs> they're all <laughs> like getting they're together. having a little, little meeting. <laughs> and let's, we'll just go lie to her. <laughs> this was what the experience was. And remember, I trained as a pediatrician. And being a good pediatrician, you have to learn to listen to the parents because the kids can't tell you how they feel, right? Mm-hmm. So you listen to the parents. You have to be a very good listener and take that information and then run with that in terms of your diagnosis Mm -hmm. and what tests you're going to do and so on. So I think being that good listener and listening to these people coming in saying, it's making such a difference in my life and hearing the same thing over and over. Think about illnesses. So we think about like um, chronic pain or someone that may has, you know, a gut disorder. Mm -hmm. A lot of illnesses boil down to three things, poor sleep, chronic pain, and anxiety about your poor sleep and chronic pain. That's right. And your illness. And what does cannabis treat beautifully? Anxiety, one. That I know. Pain. Pain. Sleep. Anxiety. Mm-hmm. I'm writing this. <coughs> I'm writing this yeah. down for myself. Yeah. But that's what THC can give people a good night's sleep. It lowers your anxiety. Mm-hmm. It can help decrease chronic pain. It may right. not be perfect, but my goodness, you're not buying all these side effects. Right. You're not becoming an opioid addict or taking, you know, an ibuprofen to <coughs> that will eat a hole in your stomach, right. right? And the other part of it too, though, is that you start to see, remember behind the scenes, we know that these compounds are anti-inflammatories. So not right. an antioxidant. So not only are you treating symptoms, but you're actually giving this person this wonderful mother nature anti-inflammatory, which all of us could use. I'm a big believer in naproxen, so I'm sorry. It's a big anti-inflammatory. Yeah, and it works. Right. But ultimately, you cannot take it for a long time because right. you will end up, one, with potential GI issues. Right. Two, there is a side effect to cardiovascular disorder or stroke, heart attack. Right, absolutely. Right? And three, it's not good for your kidneys. I have mm-hmm. bad knees, and yeah. when they act up, naproxen yeah. always helps. So. And what I tell some people. CBD oil. Yeah. Well, some I'm oil. learning. Lotion. Okay, but this is like the 90s, 8 and but what I tell, yep. But what I tell people is that if you're going to take medicine for pain or anxiety or sleep, it should be medicine that you use when you kind of rate that condition like okay i'm at the end i'm like eight nine or ten on a scale of one to ten my pain is at an eight i think i need to take a little extra if cannabis isn't doing the trick i met a patient very early on in my um cannabis uh doctor experience he was about 55 years old and he came into my office he was a new patient provided me with his medical records he had been prescribed or recommended to use non-steroidal anti-inflammatories for a osteoarthritis for many, many years. Mm -hmm. I'm familiar. Nobody was paying attention. And slowly over the years, his kidney function got worse. Right. But when you check a blood test and you see the numbers are within normal range, okay, they're in normal. But the year before they were lower, the year before they were lower, all within normal range, but nobody paid attention that he was, his kidneys were getting worse and worse. And his numbers were climbing. When he came in to see me, 
he had just gone to his uh, doctor and they were recommending him to go get dialysis. And he was beside himself because this was a medication-induced renal failure, kidney failure. Yeah. That is harm by the medical community. And we take an oath, do no harm. Mm-hmm. When I think about had he been on cannabis instead the entire time, his kidneys would be just fine. Yeah. It, it is incredible how prohibition has set the development of cannabis and other, well, not, I mean, it has to set the development of cannabis as a remedy, you know, 50 years behind where it should be. Absolutely. We, we, we still can't do research in this country. Meaningful yeah. research. Right. It's wild. Um, I'm allowed to treat patients under California law. But oftentimes I, when people ask me questions, I have to say, eh, I don't know, because the research hasn't been done. Now, mm-hmm. I want to just say one thing. One, of the, one right. of the things that the medical community has always come back to me at with is there's not enough research. You know what? <clears throat> I have a ton of studies, thousands of peer-reviewed, published articles on cannabis. And one of the things that if you sit and actually read these studies, which I have because I wrote a book and you have to put in the real stuff in the book. You can't just right. make stuff up. Almost every study in humans, and in fact, I'm not going to say almost. I'm going to say 100% of studies where they gave cannabis to humans. The very end is always safe and well-tolerated with an acceptable safety profile. Mm-hmm. Yep. Every single study. So then why are we still so afraid? And what's crazy? Where's the fear too, coming from? Yeah, you should put that warning on di- Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly, like Diet Coke. When after you drink Diet Coke, you know, or something, or take over the counter medication, there's always that after effect. There's not much with that with cannabis. You you just get sleepy, you know. So back in the 1800s, I'd, one of the um, kind of fathers of cannabis research, his name is Dr. William O'Shaughnessy. He was an Irish physician who traveled to India to learn about. Um, natural medicine and he saw them using cannabis in india for all kinds of things all diphtheria rabies all kinds of things that we don't really see now but almost everything and so he decided to do what they call the scientific method you have a hypothesis you create an experiment and you create you know you find results and you have a conclusion so he tested cannabis on dogs and he overdosed them guess what they didn't die he slept they slept maybe 12 hours. <laughs> then they woke up and they were dogs again. Yeah. And there didn't seem to and be probably any happier. Harm. Yeah. And he was the one who was kind of, they say, responsible for kind of bringing it back from India and across. And I think there's lots of history there, which I won't go into. But it's really interesting that cannabis was medicine for thousands of years before it wasn't. And hence the name of your book. Hence the name of my book, Cannabis, Cannabis is Medicine. was, is. Is. Cannabis, yeah, Cannabis is Medicine. I just wanted to declare it because I think that um, after 15 years of working in this field and seeing like 18,000 patients, I've taken care of over 2,000 pediatric patients. 18,000 um, patients. Yeah, That's in 15 lot. years. Well, it's a, full-time, awesome. it's a full-time job. So, um, 2,000 pediatric cannabis 2000, patients. Yeah. And what do I see? Well, if it doesn't work for you, and there's a small percentage of the population that don't seem to respond or don't like it or just haven't found it to work for them. Like aspirin and Tylenol? Yeah. You know, if it doesn't work, you move on. Something else. Right. Mm -hmm. But for close to 70 to 80% of the people that come see me, cannabis ends up being part of a uh, wellness regimen. Right. 
for the pediatric patients with epilepsy that I take care of. They've been, I have patients that have been on 15, 20 different anti-epileptic drugs. Let me share with you, the studies show that after you don't respond to the first two, the chance of responding to number three, four, five is less than 4%. But yet, doctors are handing out all of these anti-epileptic drugs, stacking them even. Here now you're on four different, I have patients that come in on five different drugs, still having 10 seizures a day. Yeah, that's How is that possible? How do you not look outside the box at that point? And what we're seeing with cannabis medicine is a, a report that came out in 2018 when you compare uh, a CBD, artisanal CBD oil, what does that mean? Full spectrum, CBD dominant uh, cannabis oil has about a 71% um, uh, chance of reducing seizures in these patients without really very many side effects. What study was that in 2018? I mean, the, that's done by a, a, a doctor by the, or a researcher by the name of Pamplona. Okay, and what, just so that, people can look right, it up. And in that study, he compared pure CBD pharmaceutical preparation that's available on the market now mm-hmm. versus artisanal oil. And what they found was that when you compare them... There is 71% reduction of seizures with the artisanal oil, and I think the pure CBD, and this is the importance of full spectrum, um, the pure CBD was around 40%. But then when you looked at dosing, when you use full spectrum, you get away with, like, on average, and so forgive me if it's a little confusing, but we base children's dosing on um, how, how, will they, how much they weigh, because as they grow, you have to, you don't want them to outgrow the dose. Yeah. Right. So it's my based, milligrams. Right. So it's milligram she per uses ki- an adult yeah, dose. Milligram so. per kilo per day. Big doses. <laughs> if for artisanal oil, they on average it was only six milligram per kilo per day. They needed twenty-five milligram per kilo per day of the pure CBD to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at adverse effects, well, when you have to go super sky high on a single compound, you buy side effects. With right. the artisanal oil, the risk of side effects was much, much less. And so this tells us whole plant, as Mother Nature meant it to be taken. I know it sounds like a little hippy-dippy, but like I, you wouldn't hand me an apple and say, can you just take out one vitamin of the apple? No, you eat the whole apple. Mother Nature gave it to you in this beautiful package. So, so let me ask you this, and, and uh, if I may take another direction for a second, because I've always been fascinated about this. And I really didn't have a deep reflection on, on how the – Western medicine, all these brilliant scientists, doctors like yourself could kind of just ignore or fall asleep at the wheel or not consider alternatives until COVID and just watching what happened during the whole COVID thing and the lack of like critical thought and analysis and societal, uh, you know, reflection made me think about the 30, 40, 50 years of cannabis policy and history. What happened during the nineties to people like, yourself and, and, and your colleagues. I mean, you were in medical school, you know, I mean, doctors are smart people, you know, it's why brainwashing. We're it, all taught that it's a drug of abuse. It, isn't, it, isn't this but, extraordinary? Mm-hmm. That, it is. It, it means it blows my mind. It just tells you the power of brainwashing, doesn't it? Yeah. But, so remember back in the late 1930s, early 1940s, some people who, and by the way, nobody knew about the endocannabinoid system. Nobody really knew. THC wasn't identified till 1964. So you're talking the 30s and 40s where they know nothing. And there's a lot of history, and it's, we could talk for days about this, but basically some people, wealthy people, decided we got to get rid of hemp because we want to promote other things 
for paper and twine and canvas and all of these other things, right? So there was this push against cannabis, and they managed to get it off. They they um, had the, like, drug czar at the time brought him in, powerful men in charge of things, and they basically got cannabis off what's called the the United States formulary. Cannabis was a prescribed medication from the late 1800s until about 1940. And that's when they wanted to get rid of hemp. And then what happens is you have, they they put on what's called the Marijuana Tax Act. And so if you were a physician and you wanted to prescribe cannabis, you had to fill out all this paperwork and you could get taxed. And remember, around that same time is the beginning of the pharmaceutical world. So we have barbiturates and then penicillin comes in. And so Mm -hmm. you start to see chloral hydrate, which is a, a, a drug that's sedating. You have all these, so you have this away from plant botanical medicine going towards that pharmaceutical, and then the 60s happened. So what happens in the 60s, right? You know, free love and smoke pot. Yeah, hippie time. And then what happened is Nixon and his cronies decide that they're going to create something called the Controlled Substance Act. Yeah. They put cannabis, marijuana, in a Schedule One just as a placeholder until we can kind of research it. They do some uh, a report. The report comes back and says, yeah, it shouldn't be there. And what do they do? They leave it there. And here we are in 2023, and it's still there. Yeah. And all that did. Biden could remove it, by the way. Yeah. All that did was prohibit research. And then you say we're 50 years behind, of course, because we have been stuck with this classification, which says in that classification, no medical value, untrue. Mm-hmm. High addiction potential, untrue. Um, lack of safety, untrue. Now, I could say that for tobacco, alcohol. Oh, right? alcohol for sure. Right? And a ton of drugs on the over-the-counter market. Yeah, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. And, and what concerns me is that, and I'm still trying to wrestle with this, because I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, is, you know, the, the highly intelligent historians, members of the media, politicians, doctors, they're just... You know, we would make fun of the cannabis world and the hippies, and well, because as, there's as that if, side to it. As if we knew, right. as if we thought we knew what we were talking about, and this wasn't like an active group, like regarding the hemp or the, the, you know, the or the or the 60s. It was like us doing it to ourselves. You know, it's like you it's were like propagating we're, we're, the, propi- yeah, we're the propagating the fell, brainwashing. We're right. the ones who yeah. fell asleep. Yeah. And just it was through our own laziness, sure. lack of evidentiary study. Like you said, you were aware because you actively engaged with individuals and you said, okay, this individual is using cannabis and that you're using it for anxiety, they're using it to sleep better, using it to study better. In, in law school, and, and it's interesting, the hemp happened here quickly, 2012 when I started in the industry and started to explore cannabis and my first thought was these, these, these hippies found a politically viable way to get high. Okay, cool. It's a great way to make money. My transition in my education has been unbelievable for the last 10 years and now I'm a massive supporter of not just cannabis but all therapeutical remedies and, 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 and herbal remedies and stuff but um, so many people came to me during 2012, 13, 14, 15 when I started to work with the guys at Normal and the guys at the MPP and those who were educating about the medicinal value of cannabis, the therapeutical value of cannabis and the history and the policy etc so many people from law school would come to me and said Dimitri while well, everybody else is doing Adderall we were using cannabis. We just didn't tell anybody. And That's I'm right. like, oh, okay, because you... And everybody had to be in the closet because you could yeah. lose your job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? and I was, was a conservative stigma. guy. They could take your children away. 
right? There's a lot of issues with cannabis. There's it's it's one of the biggest what I call gaslighting. Yeah. You know, I yep. heard a, a doctor I highly respect in Israel said that the war on drugs was the biggest gaslight ever, right? Yeah. And needless to say, now we have science behind it. We know about something called the endocannabinoid system. Mm -hmm. We know yeah. how these compounds interact with the endocannabinoid system. People, most people have actually no idea of the deep science. Um, I created a educational program for healthcare providers, and I just finished the first six-week course that I was giving. Yeah. It awesome. took me months to plow through the research. Don't tell me there isn't enough research. It took right. me months, 10 hours a day on the weekends, to read through the research to get all the little clinical pearls out mm -hmm. and put into this educational program. It is, and also when I wrote my book, I mean, it was like, you know, six months nonstop, work all day, and then eat some dinner, say hi to the family, and then go sit in the chair. What and, year did and, you write your book? And write the book. It was published in 2020. It's my second book. My first book was called Cannabis Revealed, and um, this is a rewrite of it. So it's a similar book. The Cannabis mm -hmm. Revealed isn't available anymore, so it's Cannabis is Medicine. And it's, it's really meant to bridge that gap of knowledge for not only, yeah. like I think physicians will read it and say, oh, it's a little simple for a physician who wants to get more, more information, like in terms of the science, but all the um, resources are there, all the, all the um, uh, uh, sources of where I got the information yeah. from. But it's really meant to just give somebody a primer. So it talks about what is your endocannabinoid system? Why do you have it? What's the point of it? Then the second chapter is about the plant. What's in the plant? Cannabinoids, terpenes, how to look at what does CBD do? What does THC do? What does CBG do, right? Mm -hmm. I then, should write a book for ex-prosecutors. <laughs> and, and then I go into... CBN too, CBN. Yep, yep and CBN. all of them. And yeah. then I go into and there's more too, how to use cannabis as medicine. Like, what does it mean when it's something on a label shows a ratio? Like, what is what are they talking about? This is really yeah. meant for the person mm -hmm. to just say, I have an understanding. And then I go through like 30 ailments on what the research shows for dementia, let's say. What does mm -hmm. the research show for epilepsy? What does the research show for chronic pain? One of the biggest problems we have is because of this prohibition on research, we have studies that are published that show some like trends or hints that cannabis can be useful, but because of the way the study has to be designed to comply with the law, right? it's substandard. It's yeah. not what I'm finding in my patients. My clinical experience tells me, and I will, I joke around, my husband calls me a chicken in a mommy suit. If you unzip me, there's a chicken inside. And right. if I'm in this industry and I'm recommending cannabis to children, mm -hmm. I have done my due diligence. I am a neurotic <laughs> physician. Right. Like, making sure to keep track of all my patients. Are they good? If they have a bad effect, you have to call me right away. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm really very, very anal about the whole thing. And it's just amazing to me that my colleagues in the medical world still want to kind of say what you were saying back 90s. Back when, which is, 2000s. oh, this is just a hoax, right? Yeah. I've even had people come in my office and say, you know, I really thought this whole medical cannabis thing was a hoax, right? But my, my yeah. back is out. It's been Absolutely. out. I started Valium and I started pain pills yeah. and nothing worked. And then my friend gave me a little edible. Oh my gosh, I slept all night. My back doesn't yep. hurt the next day. It's real. And I'm like, the power of brainwashing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Actively or passively, it's still brainwashing. 
I like stay away from active brainwashing because that leads to like conspiracy theorists and you have to put a finger. I mean, I used to prosecute. And but it is when you think about what you said, like this is your, your brain on drugs in the, yeah. in the uh, little frying pan. Well, yeah. I mean, how are you as a little kid watching that commercial and right. not walking away with that? I, right. The brain's I, still developing. I blame myself, and now I know not to trust anyone or anything. Until you do your own research. Until, yeah, now, yeah, I've done my research in yeah. cannabis, and I understand yeah. it completely now, and uh, I'm very satisfied that it doesn't matter what the science says. My anecdotal experience with cannabis is firm. That's not clinical, but it's 100%. I know it's a great herbal remedy, and I know it should be available to people, and I know people should choose it behave responsibly, use it responsibly, yeah. and, and that's the and, truth. And one of the things that I've been working on, I'm doing this research now with children with autism, where we collect their saliva before and after they use cannabis to show, um, and we measure what's called uh, met- metabolites um, that reflect clinical path or chemical pathways um, you know, basically, I you know, I joke around, we're just a bag of chemicals, right? That's, right. What, that's what we are, human chemical bags. Yep. And oh. we, we can collect these um, metabolites and look at what's going on before they use cannabis and after. And what we showed in, we published two papers in the last two years, we showed that cannabis corrects these abnormal pathways in right. 94% of these kids. That's incredible. And it, and there's so much more. Objective data. You can't argue with that. Yeah. You can argue with a mom who says, yeah, my child has less seizures. Well, maybe she's not counting them all, right? That's what the yeah. medical community says, right? Now, if they're on a pharmaceutical, oh, she must be counting them correctly. But if it's cannabis, no, she's not counting them all. It's oh. a funny bias. Mm-hmm. But we, I'm working to try to create that objective data. So you cannot argue with me because yeah. what I've seen is it's right here in front of you. Well, parents are not going to go buy cannabis if it's not working. We won't argue with you with or without the objective data. Yeah. 10 years prosecuting using representing the government and 10 years in the cannabis industry, understanding cannabis policy and two years COVID. You think I trust the government at yeah. this point? Absolutely not. I trust my own Objective data. And fortunately, my objective data agrees 100% with your <laughs> yep. scientific data. But it's important. We got to help people get there. But we do got to cut it short. Um, how do people get in touch with you? And and we could do a whole other podcast with you, a much more in-depth. We're trying to keep them 30 minutes at the Emerald Conference so that we can yep. get in as many experts. Give a sampling of the people that are here, which clearly Bonnie is the type of individual that you want to reach out to. How do people find you, get involved with your organization and maybe in that you can a little bit say about what's next and what you're looking for sure so my website is canacenters.com very easy and um i have some information on there um so what's coming up for me is i'm taking that healthcare provider um, education program because there are a lot of doctors who are interested in cannabis now because they're hearing it from their patients and they want to learn more that's going to be available as a course uh, for physicians to take. So that's what I'm working on right now. And other other healthcare providers as well. You don't have to be a physician to take the course. Mm-hmm. I'm also uh, doing this autism research and I, I'm doing um, some fundraising for um, some nonprofits that work in the autism space to educate parents about uh, cannabis medicine. So one group is called Hope Amazing. Grows for Autism. 
and they're an East Coast based, but they provide parents with a lot of educational resources. And then the West Coast one is called Whole Plant Access for Autism. So um, if I can plug something real quick, yeah, we've got some really cool sweatshirts and t-shirts that say cannabis is medicine. So you can walk around declaring it. What I tell people, and it's something I, I, like that. I thought about, Dimitri, when you were just talking you said, you know, now, like, I didn't know anything, and now I, I do. So this is what I say. You are enlightened. <laughs> you have become enlightened to what cannabis is. And, like, I feel lucky that I'm enlightened, and I feel lucky yeah. that I enlightened other people. And so what we're trying to do is put out a conversation starter that says cannabis is medicine, wear your sweatshirt proudly, yep. and see who comes up to you and says, what is that? Why is it medicine? What do you mean it's medicine? And have that conversation. So um, the money that we're raising from selling those T-shirts and sweatshirts is to help these um, nonprofits continue to provide educational resources for parents because, unfortunately, the medical community is still a little bit behind, mm -hmm. and I'm hoping that they get there. But often I hear from parents, I asked the doctor about medical cannabis, and they looked at me like I was crazy and just didn't even answer my question. Yeah. So we have to provide resources for these families that are struggling. Yeah. Well, we're definitely on the same page. Media USA is all about the medicinal use of cannabis, the therapeutical use of cannabis. Uh, we don't even like the term recreation, although then it does get into the term that recreation is a form of therapy. I get it. You know what I call it? I mean, everybody. Responsible adult use. Yeah. Exactly. That's what it is. And everybody if there's uses it for a different yeah. reason. And if there's problematic use, that yeah. doesn't mean you can't use cannabis. It just you need to be educated on why you might have tolerance or something like that, and we can help you through that. Yeah, we, we, we yeah. like to say adult choice. Yeah, adult choice, absolutely. We have choices for things that are not very good for us, don't yeah. we? I do want to add one more thing, if I could. My Instagram is Bonnie Goldstein, MD. Bonnie, B-O-N-N-I, no E, Goldstein, MD. And uh, that's where we have the link uh, if you want to support the um, nonprofits that help these families. Amazing. And then where can someone purchase your book? Is it available on Amazon? It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and a couple of other uh, uh, places online. Well, we'll definitely stay in touch. We look forward to working with you in the future on different projects. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. I was so informed. I couldn't even get a word in. It was just yeah. so interesting. Well, I'd love to talk to you guys again. Thanks so much. Yeah. Appreciate well, thank you. you. Thank you. That was another episode of Meet Unshackled. Shackled.